Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 48 of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Number eight, labor to get your hearts mortified to the world, dead to the world. We must not content ourselves that we have gotten some reasoning about the vanity of the creature and such things as these, but we must exercise mortification and be crucified to the world. Paul said, I die daily. We should die daily to the world. We are baptized into the death of Christ, that is, to signify that we have taken such a profession as to profess to be even as dead men to the world. Now, no crosses that fall out in the world trouble those who are dead. If our hearts were dead to the world, we should not be much troubled with the changes of the world, nor the tossings about of worldly things. It is very noteworthy in those soldiers who came to break the bones of Christ that they broke the legs of one who was crucified with him and of the other, but when they came to Christ, they found he was dead. And so they did not break his legs. There was a providence in it to fulfill a prophecy, but because they found he was dead, they did not break his bones. Let afflictions and troubles find you with a mortified heart to the world, and they will not break your bones. Those whose bones are broken by crosses and afflictions are those who are alive to the world, who are not dead to the world. But no afflictions or troubles will break the bones of one who has a mortified heart and is dead to the world, that is, They will not be very grievous or painful to such a one as is mortified to the world. This, I fear, is a mystery and a riddle to many. For one to be dead to the world, to be mortified to the world. Now it is not my work to open to you what mortification is or death to the world is. But only what it is to have our hearts so taken off from the things of the world as that we use them as if we use them not, not accounting that our lives, our comforts, our happiness consist in these things. The things in which our happiness consists are of a different kind, and we may be happy without these. This is a kind of deadness to the world. Number nine. Let not men and women pour too much upon their afflictions. That is, busy their thoughts too much to look down into their afflictions. You find many people, all of whose thoughts are taken up about what their crosses and afflictions are. They are altogether thinking and speaking of them. It is just with them as with a child who has a sore. His finger is always on the sore. So men's and women's thoughts are always on their afflictions. When they awake in the night, their thoughts are on their afflictions. And when they converse with others, 
may even be when they are praying to God. They are thinking of their afflictions. Oh, no marvel that you live a discontented life if your thoughts are always poring over such things. You should rather labor to have your thoughts on those things that may comfort you. There are many who, if you propound any rule to them to do them good, will take it well while they are with you and thank you for it. But when they are gone, they soon forget it. It is very noteworthy of Jacob that when his wife died in childbirth, she called the child Ben-Oni, that is, a son of sorrows. But Jacob thought with himself, if I should call this child Ben-Oni every time that I name him, it will put me in mind of the death of my dear wife and of that affliction, and that will be a continued affliction to me. Therefore, I will not have my child have that name. And so the text says that Jacob called his name Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Now this is to show us thus much that when afflictions befall us, we should not give way to having our thoughts continually upon them, but rather upon those things that may stir up our thankfulness to God for mercies. There is a comparison made by Basil, a learned man. It is in this case as with men and women who have sore eyes. Now it is not good for them to be always looking into the fire or at the beams of the sun. No, he says, one who has sore eyes must get things that are suitable to him and such objects as are fit for one with such weak eyes. Therefore, they get green colors as being a more easy color and better for weak eyes. And they hang green sarsenet before their eyes because it is more suitable to them. It is the very same with weak spirits. A man or woman who has a weak spirit must not be looking into the fire of their afflictions upon those things that deject, that cast them down, but they ought to be looking rather on that which may be suitable for healing and helping them. They should consider those things rather than the other. It will be of very great use and benefit to you if you lay it to heart, not to be pouring always on afflictions, but on mercies. Number 10, I beseech you to observe this, though you should forget many of the others. Make a good interpretation of God's ways towards you. If any good interpretation can be made of God's ways towards you, make it. You think it much if you have a friend who always makes bad interpretations of your ways towards him. You would take that badly. If you should converse with people with whom you cannot speak a word, but they are ready to make a bad interpretation of it and to take it in an ill sense, you would think their company very tedious to you. It is very tedious to the Spirit of God when we make such bad interpretations of his ways towards us. When God deals with us otherwise than we would have him do, 
If one sense worse than another can be put upon it, we will be sure to do it. Thus, when an affliction befalls you, many good senses may be made of God's works towards you. You should think thus. It may be. God intends only to try me by this. It may be. God saw my heart was too much set on the creature, and so he intends to show me what is in my heart. It may be that God saw that if my wealth did continue, I should fall into sin, that the better my position were, the worse my soul would be. It may be God only intended to exercise some grace. It may be God intends to prepare me for some great work which he has for me. Thus you should reason. But we, on the contrary, make bad interpretations of God's thus dealing with us and say, God does not mean this. Surely the Lord means by this to manifest his wrath and displeasure against me. And this is but a furtherance of further evils that he intends towards me. Just as they did in the wilderness, God hath brought us hither to slay us. This is the worst interpretation that you can possibly make of God's ways. Oh, why will you make these worst interpretations when there may be better? In 1 Corinthians 13.5, when the scripture speaks of love, it says, Love thinketh no evil. Love is of that nature that if ten interpretations may be made of a thing, nine of them bad and one good, love will take that which is good and leave the other nine. And so, though ten interpretations may be presented to you concerning God's ways towards you, and if but one is good and nine bad, you should take that one which is good and leave the other nine. I beseech you to consider that God does not deal by you as you deal with him. Should God make the worst interpretation of all your ways towards him as you do of his towards you, it would be very ill with you. God is pleased to manifest his love thus to us to make the best interpretations of what we do. And therefore, God puts a sense upon the actions of his people that one would think could hardly be. For example, God is pleased to call those perfect who have any uprightness of heart in them. He accounteth them perfect. Be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uprightness in God's eyes is perfection. Now, alas, when we look into our own hearts, we can scarce see any good at all there. And yet, God is pleased to make such an interpretation as to say, it is perfect. When we look into our own hearts, we can see nothing but uncleanness. God calls you his saints. He calls the meanest Christian who has the least grace under the greatest corruption. 
his saint. You say we cannot be saints here, but yet in God's esteem, we are saints. You know the usual title the Holy Ghost gives in several of the epistles to those who had any grace, any uprightness, is to the saints in such a place. You see what an interpretation God puts upon them. They are saints to him. And so I might name, in many other particulars, how God makes the best interpretation of things if there is an abundance of evil and a little good. God rather passes by the evil and takes notice of the good. This concludes episode 48 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Our next episode will finish the entire book. We look forward to Jeremiah Burroughs' conclusion.